May God add his blessing to the reading of the scriptures this morning. And may the words from my mouth be what we all need to hear today. How many of you here have gardened or are presently going to garden this year or have done it in the past? How many of you have done it? How many of you think you're, you're, pre, you're a pretty good gardener? You did pretty well. well we just lost about half of you there. <laughs> that's okay. I used to garden regularly every year, and I never got good at it. I have to admit that. Because I don't like to go out and pull weeds and take care of all that stuff. You know, do the, I don't like the hard stuff. I just like to harvest, you know, get those big, fat, juicy tomatoes and all that good stuff. But spring planting season is almost here, and it's almost time for those of you who are avid gardeners or who just have a couple of tomato plants in the backyard. I did that, and then these two little people moved into my house, and I decided that uh, it was probably best we didn't put any in the backyard for a couple of years. So we'll go back to gardening one of these, one of these years. But gardening is something that um, I admire a good gardener. Uh, they are patient. They are dedicated. You know? I remember in my childhood, I had a neighbor whose name was Vince. And Vince had this huge garden in his backyard. And Vince was retired. And so this was his hobby, and this was what he spent most of his time doing in the warm weather months. And he would be out there every day, early in the morning, He'd be working before the sun got too hot out in his garden. In the evening, sometimes even during the day when it was hot, he was dedicated and he was patient. And he said, oh, these are going to be some beautiful tomatoes. And I remember the, the wonderful crops he always, always grew. And I, I always admired him for it. And I give him credit for uh, my trying, you know, my efforts at gardening later when I became an adult myself. But it takes a lot of dedication. It takes a lot of patience uh, to plant and take care of a garden, not knowing if you're going to get a good harvest or not. Although, as I said, Vince always believed he would, and I don't even remember him not having a nice harvest. But there was a man in India who is a good example of dedication and patience of a master gardener. His name is Kalamula Khan. And he is a professional horticulturist. He's 80 years old, and his family owns a mango orchard. When he was 17 years old, he saw his neighbor growing a, a crossbreeding rose bushes in his garden. And he saw this uh, beautiful rose bush with different varieties of roses, different colors, all on the same bush. He had grafted them together and made this just gorgeous uh, Rosebush. He was inspired by that, and so he began grafting different mango varieties onto one tree in his yard. And he worked at this for more than 60 years. And more than 60 years later, he has created a mango tree that bears 300 different varieties of mangoes, if you can believe that, on one tree. The tree is massive, he said. It's, uh, its branches weighed down by the green mangoes and the orange and yellow mangoes, different colors. And the mangoes from this miracle tree 
are free for any visitors who come to his orchard. He says, just help yourself to whatever you want. But Khan is a good example of a dedicated, patient gardener who has worked for years and years at his craft to make something as wonderful as that big tree. Here in Luke 13, Jesus tells us a story about a landowner who was checking on the progress of his fig trees, and he tells his gardener, for three years now I've been looking at this thing and it hasn't borne any fruit, so chop it down and get rid of it. Why should we use up the soil? The gardener says, leave it alone one more year, and I'll dig around it and I'll fertilize it, and if it gets fruit next year, fine, and if not, I'll cut it down. He says, just a little more patience before you give up on that tree. This brings me to my first thought for the day. Life is short. Any good that we would do in this world, we need to begin to do now, today. These verses might sound like something from HGTV, but may I suggest that they might give us a good glimpse into God's will for our lives. As I said to the kids, think of ourselves as being the fig tree in this story. And like a master gardener, God is dedicated to see us live out his purpose for our life. And, for, and God patiently waits to see signs that we are doing that. We're growing. That we are bearing fruit. But just like this fig tree is short-lived, we know in this story that it only has another year to live if it doesn't bear fruit, so are we. Life is short. Even if you live to be 100, that's still pretty short in the grand scheme of things. Any good that we want to do in this world, we need to get down to business and do it while we can. There was a lady named Sharon Carr who was studying with a double major in English and religion when she was diagnosed with a brain tumor. Her attitude of faith and hope in facing her diagnosis really inspired her classmates and her professors. In the year after she was diagnosed, she wrote poems and short meditations about her struggle to find hope while she was dying. And one of her professors put all of her writings together into a book, and it was published just before she passed away. He called the book, Yet Life Was a Triumph, after one of her poems. The poem was read at Sharon's funeral. I'm just going to read a few lines from that poem this morning. It says, I had to love today because you couldn't promise me tomorrow. I had to hold tightly to purpose because you might not give me time for carelessness, and lifeblood is too precious to spill on selfish whim. I had to cherish hope because you couldn't guarantee light amid despair, and I was tired of hurting because I was forced to live life boldly, thankfully, lovingly, and joyfully. Death is tender, and life was a triumph. What painful yet beautiful words. I had to love today because you couldn't promise me tomorrow. And she ends her poem by saying that realizing that no tomorrow is promised forced her to live more abundantly 
so that her life became, even though it was shortened, became a triumph. That's what God wants for us. It's too easy for us, I think, to waste our time in selfish or insignificant, unimportant, unfruitful behavior because we forget very often how short life really is. That's our first thought. Second thought for the day, fruitfulness is one measure of how much our life reflects God's love. Here's a question that many of us face. How do I measure my life? Do I measure my life by the length of my years? By the possessions I've accumulated? Or by the positive impact I've made on others? I think most of us would agree that it's a positive impact that is the most important measure in life. Throughout his short ministry, Jesus made it very clear that any positive impact he had in life came from his relationship with God, his Father. Jesus' power and his purpose and his courage came from lining up his heart with the heart and the mind of his Heavenly Father and with God's purposes for him. Verse 7 gives us some insight into what a fruitless life might look like. In verse 7, the landowner says, the fig tree is using up the soil. In the original Greek, the word used here refers to something that has no force, no influence, no power. It also means something that has been severed or separated from its source of power. Back in the 12th century, Japanese gardeners created dwarf trees or bonsai trees by cutting the tree's taproot. The taproot is the biggest root, the most important root that anchors the tree way down deep into the ground so that it can grow taller and wider. And if you remove the taproot, the tree relies on smaller roots that are closer to the surface. So we get a tiny tree. And that's how bonsai trees came about in the beginning. Pastor Eric Ritz writes it this way. What our Japanese friends have learned to do intentionally with trees, many of us in our country have done by neglect with our spiritual lives. How many of us have cut the taproot of faith in God and have tried to live and grow on an occasional trip to church, occasionally opening the Bible to read, only praying in moments when we were in trouble or great distress, and giving to the church only the leftovers of our financial resources. A few years ago, William Saffer wrote about the origin of the phrase, spitting image. I've wondered what that meant, when you, what, how that came about, and why we say he's a spitting image of his dad, or she's a spitting image of her mom. Well, he explained that that phrase is really a garbled version of the original phrase, which was spirit and image. It started off as he's the spirit and image of his dad. It doesn't just mean physical resemblance. It was originally used to mean that someone reflects the spirit and the image of someone else. Not only looks like them, but acts like them too. Now, we do know some sons that look and act just like their dads and 
some daughters that look and act just like their moms or dads, don't we? In other words, what if others could say about you or me that we are the spitting image of God? What would it look like if our lives truly reflected the spirit and the image of God? Not that we're God, but that we're imitating God so closely that we're the spitting image. What if our lives overflowed with the fruits of the spirit? Remember those? Love, joy, peace, kindness, patience, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. How would it affect other people around us, I wonder? How would it affect our work lives? How would it affect our priorities in life? What would become the most important things in our lives? Fruit, you see, cannot be hidden. It's an outward expression of what's going on inside the tree, inside of you, inside of me. It's what people can see. Fruitfulness is one measure of how much our life reflects God's love. And then finally, our last thought for today, a fruitful life will leave a powerful, positive legacy. The older I get, the more I think about my legacy. What will my legacy be? When I go, when I leave this earth, how will people remember me? What will they remember me for? Will it be for the right things? Few of us think about our lives as leaving a legacy as we're living it. You know, we try to be good people. We try to do positive things at work. We try to do the right things with our family. We try to do the right things in all of our relationships. And we volunteer and we try to help others as much as we can. But legacy building, I think, goes even deeper than that. It's, it's, I believe it's an intentional effort to do good and positive things in our work and in our relationships that intentionally trying to influence others for the good so that we will be remembered for those things. Someone said that thinking about our legacy helps us to focus on long-term, and it gives us values that we can judge our actions by. I read a story about a piano teacher whose name was Larissa Sukov and the powerful positive impact she had on one of her students. He was a little boy, and his name was Dante. And this is a thank you note that Dante wrote to Ms. Sukov. He said, Dear Miss Larissa, this story is for you. Once upon a time, there was a little boy named Dante. He dreamed to play the piano. He found a great teacher. Her name was Miss Mar Marissa, Larissa, sorry. Dante went on to play the piano for his whole life, and he loved it. He will never forget his first teacher. I love you, Mrs. Miss Mar Larissa, signed Dante. Most of us have such powerful impact on others for the good or for the other. God placed a yearning in us, I think, to have a positive influence on the people around us, to live with a sense of mission and to live with a sense of purpose, to live lovingly and boldly and to live joyfully for the sake of other people, to live lives that reflect God's love. We were made for these reasons. 
Once a young man named Ben was struggling to make an important decision. He had been struggling with his desire to be a pastor. He was concerned about how hard the pastor life might be. What if he just couldn't do it? What if he failed? So he asked his dad, Dad, what if God calls me to do something that I can't do? His dad was quiet for a minute. They happened to be in the garage when he asked him that, and he, his dad looked over by the wall and he saw his son's baseball glove on the floor. He picked it up and he said, what is this? He said, Dad, don't be silly. It's my glove, you know what it is. He propped, he took his son's glove and he propped it up against the wall and he threw a baseball into it. The ball rolled out of the glove and across the floor. And then he picked up the glove and he said, your glove is a total failure, isn't it? He said, well, my glove can't catch by itself. The glove doesn't work unless my hand is in it. Dad said, that's right. And you are just like that glove. God has a purpose for you, Ben. You put your hand inside the glove to give it guidance and strength. You give it the power to catch that ball. In the same way, God will give you the power to do whatever you decide to do in life. It's God's mighty hand that does the work when you're willing to be used. A fruitful life begins when we place it in God's hands. We want to reflect God's love like we talked about with the kids this morning. We want to live intentionally. We want to leave behind us a powerful, positive impact that results in bearing much fruit. That's what God made us for. Let's not waste our time on anything less. Jesus had a short time on this earth to pour out his love and his strength and his purpose into others. He had only a short time to heal and teach and to empower his disciples and get them ready because he knew he was going to leave. And he used every second that he had to share his reality of God and God's love for them and for us. And now, 2,000 years later, because of the people that came here from Germany and established this little group in 1852, here we are today. Their lives and their legacies have brought us to where we are today. The people just in the last generation who have passed on, the people we've lost recently, all of those people left behind them a legacy. And this church was part of that legacy. Their dedication to this church, their dedication to their Lord is part of that legacy. I look around and I see the empty spots where, they, where some of them sat. And I think, yeah, Terry, what she taught us. Mr. Seaton, just look around and see and think about the folks that have been before us and who have left this rich, rich legacy. I think of people like Abby Gilman up in the choir every Sunday morning. I think of Carol up in the front row in the choir. We miss those people, but they're still with us in a sense because they've left that legacy for us to enjoy. We wouldn't even have this building if it weren't for those people. They kept it going, and now it's our turn. 
And we need to be thinking about those same things. We need to be thinking about what are we going to, how are they going to remember us? What are we going to be remembered for? The fruit that we produce. That's what. Life is short. Our fruitfulness will be determined by how much our lives reflect God's love. Let's choose today to keep putting our lives and the lives of this church into God's hands and then we will leave behind a legacy that will live on long, long after we're gone. Amen.